Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Acts chapter 13. Um, you know, the book of Acts actually is kind of composed in three phases. And we've already gone through basically two phases in the book of Acts. The first phase, it kind of, it, it's the beginning, of course, of the book of Acts. But Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 49, before he ascended into heaven, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so the disciples waited in Jerusalem until the, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. That was the first phase in the book of Acts. Jesus also said, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And we know as the persecution started happening with Stephen being stoned and uh, just the persecution, that general persecution that started happening in Jerusalem, that the disciples started spreading out and going out to uh, bringing the gospel to the Jews and Samaritans throughout the region. And then we get to this third phase where Jesus told them that they'd be witnesses to him to the ends of the earth. And that's really kind of where chapter 13 picks up. It's that third phase. This is where chapter 13 starts. Antioch, where the story takes place here, is now the center of operations, not Jerusalem anymore. And Paul, although here in this chapter, beginning of it anyways, he's called Saul, um, the apostle to the Gentiles, is now going to become the central figure in the book of Acts instead of Peter. So there's a transition now that's going to take place. And I don't know if you have a Bible that has a little title for the, for the book. And, and uh, you know, my Bible, I open it up to the book of Acts, and it says, The Acts of the Apostles. And, you know, there's really, I would think, four words that should be inserted in that title. You can go ahead and pen them in if you want, but <laughs> really it should be the acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples, because that's really what we're looking at as you go through the book of Acts, is how the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of the apostles and through the disciples. And this morning, we're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit worked through Saul, who we know as Paul, and Barnabas. And what we're going to be examining is the strategy of how the Spirit used them, and that strategy is how the Spirit still uses his disciples today. And so there's applications that we can pull uh, for us this morning. Before we get into Acts and I start reading it, I want to read something to you that Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12. In verse 3, he says, for I, say, uh, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many, many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one in body, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And then the verses following that, Paul starts talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then I also want to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And then the verses following there speak of the manifestations of the Spirit. 
My point in reading those as we are getting into Acts chapter 13, my first point is this. The Holy Spirit distributes diverse gifts and he calls diverse people. And we see that right here in verse 1 of chapter 13. Now when the church that was at Antioch, excuse me, now when the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, or Manaean, I don't know how you pronounce that, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So here in this very beginning of this chapter, we have a group of Christians in the church in Antioch who are exercising their spiritual gifts that were given to them. And two of the gifts are mentioned here. Men who had the gift of prophecy and others who had the gift of teaching. Now, when we read that verse 1, it doesn't really, you know, we, we read that through that, and the English doesn't really give us a, a good clue, but in the Greek, apparently, in the Greek, it seems to indicate that the ones with the gift of prophecy were Barnabas, Simeon, and Lucius of Cyrene. And the ones with the gift of teaching were Manian and Saul, who in verse 9, he'll be, he'll be called Paul, and that'll carry through the rest of the book of Acts. So two gifts are mentioned there. One, the gift of prophecy. What is the gift of prophecy? Well, in some cases, it's a predictive, uh, there's a predictive nature of the gift, foretelling. And an example we read about a couple weeks ago was Agabus. Remember, he was a prophet, and he prophesied of a coming drought. And I love the fact that he prophesied it, but then the scriptures, and it did happen. In other words, he was a true prophet. Uh, that's foretelling telling. That's one aspect of the gift of prophecy. In other cases, it's forth-telling. It's a word of the Lord to man or to men. And uh, we have an example. We'll get to that example actually in verse 2 of, of uh, this chapter. So that's the gift of prophecy. Then we have the gift of teaching. And it's a great, there's a great picture of it here in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. That's the Old Testament with the Levites. It says, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. That, that's teaching. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 18, we see an example of that. When Aquila and Priscilla heard Apollos speaking. And it says, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Again, they're teaching. So we see some examples of those two gifts. Well, let's take a look at these men in verse 1. The very first one we have is Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And you know, when you look at his life, boy, it, it just bears itself out. He is an encourager to the church, to the people around him. His name, actually, we met him in, in Acts chapter 4, and his name was Joseph, and he was a Levite from Cyprus, from the island of Cyprus. So that's one of the men. Then we have another man, man by the name of Simeon. The Bible says who was called Niger, and that means black. He was probably a black man. In fact, some scholars think that he may have been the same person as Simon of Cyrene. That was the man who carried the cross uh, for Christ. Then we have Lucius of Cyrene. And by the way, Cyrene is in the northern tip of Africa, present-day Libya, basically. There's a very good chance that he also was a black man. And then we have Manian. Whoops. You can avoid that one. I wasn't supposed to, I wasn't supposed to click on that. <laughs> we have Manian. 
and uh, pay no attention to the screen. Okay. Um, he had been brought up with uh, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and you know, like I mentioned last week, there's a few different Herods. This one is also known as Antipas. And uh, he's the one that was uh, present. Jesus was brought to him as part of his trial. And he's also the one that beheaded John the Baptist. It's that, it's that uh, uh, Herod. And it says that this Manian was brought up with him. Now that word brought up, in the Greek it means to be a companion of one's childhood and youth. Which could mean that he was either a close companion of Herod some people think he might have even been a foster brother of Herod. And here he's one of the disciples. And then, of course, Saul. And if you think of that, consider the diversity of these group of people, these group of men. They all minister, ministered alongside each other. We've got a Levite uh, from a different country, right? Barnabas from a different country. We've got possibly, quite possibly, quite probably, two black men. And they were from the African con continent. And then we have one who's raised up as an aristocrat alongside Herod. And then you've got this Pharisee. What a, what a diverse group of people. And they're ministering alongside each other. How do you think people knew that these guys were prophets and teachers? Well... The problem, the way they, or excuse me, the reason why is because they were ministering in their gifts. They were employing those gifts. I remember there was a guy that attended our church for a while, and he came up to me once and he said, "I believe I have the gift of healing." And I said, "Oh, that's that's great, that's awesome." And he had been here for a while, and I kept watching him, and I never saw him employing those gifts. I never saw him doing that, and and so I thought, you know, if he had not told me, I would not have guessed it on my own because I never saw him actually operating or, or, or you know, employing that gift. But these guys, they were administering their gifts and people recognized them because of that. You, know, you think about the diversity of these people. You know, quite possibly, you know, different skin color, different nationality, different religious upbringings, different cultural upbringings and experiences, and yet God brought them together to minister. You know, I just want to share with you guys, God has chosen you. And, you know, sometimes we kind of, we kind of think, well, you know, what can I offer to the Lord? You know, you know, I've got this background. I'm not that educated, whatever. God has taken you. He's raised you. He's, he knows all about you. And he's placed you in this church, in this community, with your knowledge, with your skills, with your background, so that you can minister to somebody that I couldn't minister to. We all have spheres of influence that we can minister to. And I love that, how the Lord does that. And we see that with these, with these guys. Well, continuing with verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me uh, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Let me just ask you this rhetorically. Are you, are you waiting for the Lord to speak to you, to call you into some ministry, uh, you know, to, or to some service for him? But right now, he's like, you know, I haven't heard the Lord speaking to me, so I'm just going to sit tight and wait. Um, you know, the Lord might speak to you in that situation, but by and large, by and large, the Lord calls people who are already ministering in the spiritual gifts that they have. 
I was called to be a pastor to Calvary Chapel here when I was in my late 30s. I'm a little bit older than that now, but um, but you know what I did before I was called? From the time that my wife and I were married, we attended different churches. I either taught Sunday school in a church. Um, I, I was involved in a junior high ministry for a few years. I've led a few different home Bible studies. I was employing whatever gifts the Lord had given me. I was always involved in some aspect of ministry right up until I received the call. It wasn't like I was just walking down the street one day and the Lord said, I want you to be a pastor. Well, actually he did, but it was, there's a story behind that. But, but you know, I, it wasn't like, what? I'm a used car salesman. What do you mean, you know? No, I, I was working in those. I was ministering in those things. Ray Stedman said this. He said, you can steer a ship or a car if it's moving, but it's very difficult to steer it when it is sitting still. Have you ever tried to move something that's really heavy with wheels? It's better to get it rolling, and then you can kind of move it around. That's so true. This is my second point. The Holy Spirit usually calls people who are already busy exercising their gifts where they're planted. And I want to point out one thing I said usually. One thing I've learned over and over again is not to say the Lord always or the Lord never. <laughs> I don't say that because I can get myself into trouble. You know, I always think, you know, the Lord, there's somebody has to be uh, sharing the gospel. Somebody has to read a verse from the Bible. There, you know, there has to be a witness for someone to come to faith in the Lord. And, you know, if I said, well, that's always the way the Lord works. Well, I don't know if you've read about these Muslim people in countries where they're, they don't have any preachers around them. They don't even have a Bible. And Jesus Christ is appearing to them. And they're coming to faith in Christ. So I don't always say the Lord always, the Lord never. But the Lord usually, or the Holy Spirit usually calls people who are already busy exercising their gifts right where they're planted, right where they're at. David Jeremiah said this, God doesn't usually ask people who are doing nothing to do something. He calls people who are doing something to do something more, more important, more urgent, and more sacrificial. And it bears itself out in Saul and Barnabas. Remember in chapter, uh, the last chapter, they had just returned from being, actually two chapters earlier, they had just returned from being sent out to Judea with a, with a contra, contribution excuse me, for those believers that were suffering. Remember that? They had fulfilled that task. They had faithfully completed. They were actively serving the Lord, and now they're being called to a new task in a new ministry. So these guys are employing the gifts of teaching and prophecy already. And notice it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. That's when the Holy Spirit called them. And that present tense of that minister means that they were continually ministering to the Lord or, or habitually ministering to the Lord. These guys had their priorities right. I like what Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Listen, if you're active in ministry, and I know people are active in ministry, but you're not active in your personal relationship with the Lord, then the ministry that you're doing, you're doing it in your own strength. And on the surface, it may seem successful. And you may be able to go for a while, but it's spiritually powerless. If you're not developing your own relationship with the Lord, if you're just serving. 
And if you're not doing it as unto the Lord, maybe you're doing it for recognition or a sense of self-worth, again, you may be able to continue for a while under your own steam, but once trials or difficulties come, and any time you're in ministry you realize they do come, if you're doing it in your own strength, man, you're going to give up or you're going to burn out. And that's why Paul later would write this. In Colossians 3.23, says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. If your focus is on people and that you're ministering in your own strength, man, I tell you, you're not long of this world as far as ministry. Well, these guys were ministering to the Lord first and foremost. I've got a quote here. I can't attribute it. I don't even know who to attribute it to, so you can pretend like I came up with it. But it says, we need to make sure that we minister to the Lord before we try to minister for the Lord. We need to make sure we worship the Lord before we try to work for the Lord. And I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, that you cannot give what you don't have. And that is so true. It's so true in any ministry. So we need to be developing our own personal relationship with the Lord. And that's what these guys were doing. They're ministering to the Lord and fasting. Now, it doesn't say in this verse, but in the Bible, typically fasting was accompanied with prayer. What is fasting? Well, it basically boils down to denying the physical in order to focus on the spiritual. So you're, 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 rather than focusing on my, my bodily needs for food and everything, I'm going to spend that time and I just want to spend my time focusing on the Lord and praying. Fasting oftentimes makes you and I more sensitive to the Spirit's leading. So these guys, they're serving, they're, they're ministering to the Lord, they're fasting and praying. They are in a prime position spiritually to have their lives directed by the Lord into a new and a specific ministry. And it says here, And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You ever think about that? Was that like an audible voice? It's all of a sudden like, there's a voice from heaven, you know. It's funny when you uh, have those Bibles that are, you know, the audio Bibles. It seems like every time the Lord's got a British accent. Have you ever noticed that? I don't know. I've noticed that. Those are the things I think about. He must be in England. (laughs) Well, who did the Holy Spirit say this to? Was it just an impression? Was it an audible voice? Well, like I shared earlier, the gift of prophecy, right? A prophet speaks forth God's words to men. And so it would seem to me that one of the ones recognized for the gift of prophecy is probably prophesying this. So it probably was, could have been either Barnabas, Simeon, or Lucius. And what did he say? What did the Holy Spirit say? Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That word to separate means to mark off from others by boundaries. And to be separated to means you're also separated from something else. Many of you know that I'm bivocational and I'm working, my other vocation right now at this time in my life is, is, is working for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And I was just, just came back from North Carolina this past week. Now, if I was on vacation traveling to North Carolina, one of the things that I noticed, there's a lot of history in the area where I'm at. 
a lot of signs like George Washington did this here and this guy did this here and this battle, this Civil War battle took place here and these slaves ran away from... I'm like, man, there's a lot of history. If you like history, that area is, is just... It's a great place to go and check out historical sites. Now... That's tempting for me. Man, I want to just, I just want to go travel. I'm here, I just want to go check out all the historical sites. I'm not too far from the ocean, man. I'd love to go and hang out at the beach for a day. It was, by the way, it was pretty warm out there. It got up to like 73 one day. I don't mean to make you feel bad, but I'm suffering for the Lord there, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I'm in a hotel, and man, I'd love to just sleep in and then go drive out to the beach and stop at some historical sites and stuff. But listen, I've been separated to the work of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So while I'm there, that means that I'm separated from spending my time as a tourist and relaxing. And to be separated to the Lord and his calling means you have been separated from something, more in general or more than likely from living life for yourself. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've stopped and taken some pictures. Teresa, check this out. You know, I'll send her a picture of some things that I've seen. I've, I've enjoyed the local cuisine. I've been eating seafood. Just every, pretty much every meal has been seafood, which has been great. Um, I rest at the hotel in, at night. So it's not like I'm just like work, 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 work. But, but I realize this whole time I'm on the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association's time. I've been separated to them. And I'm on their dime. So, you know, it puts a perspective on things. Well, just like serving the Lord, I may still take a vacation. You may still go on a vacation. You may take a break from serving in some way. You know, I need a break. I've been doing this for a while. I need a break. And that's, that's fine. But it's temporary, right? And I'm no longer filling my life with, well, this is all I want to do. I've been separated to the Lord and I've been separated from something else. So I'm on the Lord's time. We all are on the Lord's time. And I'm on his dime. It, puts a, it just puts a focus on it. My third point is, to be separated to the Lord means to be separated from something. And I'll just be honest with you, one size doesn't fit all. You might be, uh, you know, for some it might be, be separated from, I don't know, whatever it might be. You know what could be possibly is to be separated from your pride. Because one thing I've learned in ministry is uh, it can be very humiliating. It can be very humbling. And uh, ministering to the Lord can be very humbling, unless you're like this guy. I was So what I'm doing is I'm going out ahead of uh, Franklin Graham's God Loves You tour in that region. Remember, we had it here in Rochester. And I'm going ahead and I'm, I'm, I'm connecting with pastors. So I'm just driving, and my area is pretty rural. There's some small towns, but it's pretty rural. So I'm just driving country roads and stopping at churches and and uh, and uh, making appointments and, or just stopping in. And if I see a car, I'm stopping and, and talk to the pastor. And uh, anyways, there's a pastor that I'm planning in at one of the towns, and I'm planning to meet, actually I'm scheduled to meet with him next week. But, you know, one of the things I do, if I have the time, I go to their website, because I'm going to give you a little kind of a feel for the church and for the pastor and stuff. So here's what this guy, and, you know, first impressions always are, to me, it's, it's something. But this guy, this is what it talks about the pastor, and I want to read this to you. It says, his anointing is earmarked by a unique multiplication effect and the ability to unite people from varied ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds. I'm like, okay. 
And then it says this, you go a little further, it says, as a leading pastor with the, and I'll withhold the name of the denomination, pastor, I won't say his name, has served the local congregation of, again, I won't say the name, it's like one of those, you know, those uh, political things, right? The government, what do they call it when they mark out everything? Redacted, yeah, I've got a redacted thing here. So as a leading pastor with this particular denomination, pastor so-and-so has served the local congregation of this church for 25 years. He has grown it from a single location with 12 white members to multiple locations with multicultural constituents totaling hundreds weekly. Um, again, I, I may have a totally different impression when I meet the, the, meet the person, but when I read this, I go, wow, he's, the, he's like the top guy in his denomination. And I'm like, hmm, that's, uh, well, maybe he is. But anyways, sometimes ministry can be very humbling. So I, I just share something kind of funny with you. So I get to, uh, I get to the airport, to the rental car place, and uh, I'm, I'm scheduled to have, and the association reserved a car for me, and it was supposed to be an economy car. And uh, I get there, and the guy says, we don't have any more economy cars. And he gave me the choice of a Mustang or a Camaro. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> now, on our 25th wedding anniversary, my wife and I uh, rented a convertible Mustang. And we were on the California coast driving along Highway 1, going to the ocean and stuff. It was fabulous. So I've driven one of those, and I go, you know, I haven't driven a Camaro. I'll go for the Camaro. And so I get out there, and here it is, bright red convertible. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. And so here I am driving down these country roads, which was fun, and I'm getting to these little churches, and, you know, it's not a very economic... Their standard of living is, is a little bit lower than here in Rochester. I'm, I'm driving up in this convertible, most of the time I had the top up, but a couple times I had the top down. Hi, I work for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I just landed with my private jet, and I'm here to, you know, you know just to minister to you. <laughs> Anyways, it was kind of an interesting week for me. I'm sure next week I'll have a you go, so that, that'll make up for it. <laughs> But seriously, being separated to the Lord means that he wants to separate you from something. And again, one size doesn't fit all. There's something that maybe the Lord says, I want you to put that aside and I want you to do this for me. And that's what the Lord did with these guys. They were separated to the Lord. And so what did the church do? Verse 3, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So the rest of the fellowship fasted and prayed again to hear from the Lord and to see, Lord, is that really what you're confirming? And then they laid hands on them. That doesn't mean that they beat them up or anything like that. There's nothing magical uh, with laying on of hands. There's, there's uh, basically, there's, it's identification is one of the things. You know, in the Old Testament, the priests, they had to lay hands on a, on a sacrificial animal before they sacrificed it. And when they did that, what they were acknowledging was the animal was the substitution for me. My sins are being transferred on him, and this animal is dying in my place. So there's an identification. In the case of uh, Saul and Barnabas, the church is identifying, hey, these guys are going as our representatives. We're sending them out to, on the mission field. They're going in our place because we can't all go. And so that's one case. It's, it's identification. It's also confirmation. Confirmation and recognition 
of the Holy Spirit's calling. It wasn't that the church of Antioch said, hey, uh, we've got this great idea for sending people out and let's pick these two guys. No, the Holy Spirit called them. And so they're, they're just basically confirming it. The Holy Spirit did. They, we, we recognize that the Holy Spirit's laying that on their lives. And then the thing is, and they're all doing it. And there's unity in laying on of hands. As a body of believers, they were sending out uh, the, uh, Saul and Barnabas. So that's basically what the laying on of hands was all about. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. I like this verse. The Holy Spirit called them, the Holy Spirit sent them, and then they went out. They, they okay, God's called us, let's go. Listen, if the Lord's gifting you and calling you in some way, and you know, the Bible teaches that we all have been given spiritual gifts. Every one of us, as a believer, we have gifts that the Lord's been given, that's been given to us. And if the Lord's given you these gifts and he's called you in some way, well, then you need to take a step and start going in by faith, right? We walk by faith. That's what Saul and Barnabas did. And what did the Holy Spirit tell him? Separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. Okay, now what? I've been separated, I've been called. Okay, what do I do? Well, they went down, they went out, and they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, it, it makes me wonder, you know, I wonder, did the Holy Spirit, like, give them a triptych to highlight their, you guys remember triptychs? Yeah. Some of the older guys, people with the same color hair as me probably do. Or no hair. <laughs> For you younger people, triptychs were like the Google Maps of my day. <laughs> what you would do is if you had uh, AAA insurance and you were planning a vacation, you would go into your local AAA office and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to so, such and such a place. My parents, we went up from San Jose, we drove up to Canada, I don't know how many times. My dad would always go into AAA and get a triptych. And so you'd have this triptych and that the, there'd be somebody... Somebody with a pen and a highlighter would map the route out on each page of the triptych, and then you basically just flip pages on going here and here and here. It was, it was awesome. Did the Holy Spirit give him a triptych? Hey, this is where I want, I want you to go here, here. No, he didn't. At least as far as scriptures, we can't tell. It doesn't seem like the Holy Spirit said, go here first and then here. And this is my next point. The Holy Spirit doesn't call robots. He doesn't call robots. He called them and sent them, but they made the decision of where to go. What we see here is a picture of God's sovereignty, but also man's responsibility. Paul would write something to that effect in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I love that. If the Lord's called you, he's give, maybe he's given you the desire. He would have given you the desire. If he's called you, he gives you the desire in, in their case, and then he sent them. And they undoubtedly prayed and then said, okay, let's go this place. Well, listen, it made sense to, send, uh, to go to Cyprus. Why? 
because Barnabas was from Cyprus. It just was a logical thing to do. You know, he would have been familiar with the territory, for one, probably had contacts from growing up there. He knew people, and maybe there was even some people who's like, you know what, I want to share the gospel with my old buddy, Joe, or my old buddy, Mordecai. It would have been a Jewish name, right? I want to share the gospel with my old buddy, Levi, or something like that. I got this Wikipedia article. It says, Tradition says that Barnabas preached in Alexandria and Rome and was stoned to death at Salamis in about AD 61, which would have been about 12 years after this chapter that we were reading. He is considered to be the founder of the Church of Cyprus. His bones are believed to be located in the nearby monastery named after him. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but the point is, Man, it's like, hey, God's called us. Let's go to this place. It, it just makes sense. It wasn't like the Lord said, go to Cyprus. They just made that decision and went. Listen, making a decision or sensing the spirit leading, you know, you, you feel called and you say, I feel like the Lord's told me to do this, doesn't always mean you're going to get it right. It, it, and it, it, it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean it's always going to get it right. We're to walk by faith, right? It happened to Saul and Barnabas. In Acts chapter 16, actually it would have been probably Paul and Silas, in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So we feel like the Lord's calling us here, but the Lord said, no, I'm not, I'm not calling you there. Sometimes the Lord calls by closing doors, right? The key is flexibility. The key is flexibility. You know, this past week, I my plan was to go to this, one of the days was my plan was to go to this one town. There was two churches that were fairly large, and I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect with those pastors. They probably have contacts and stuff. And so um, I'm going to go to these larger churches. I want to focus on that. And so, again, I'm leaving the town where I'm staying, and I have to drive through these country roads. And one of the things that I was doing is every time I drove by a church, because it's all my region where I'm responsible for, if I see a car at a, at a church, I'm like, okay, I got to stop and talk to him because that might be the only opportunity. And so I'm driving through this one little town with one stoplight. And then one of there's a church, I know it's on my list, but I'm like, okay, I got to get to these bigger churches. And this is a little country church in the middle of town or the middle of a town with only one stoplight. You know, you could blink and you could miss it. Well, I drive by and I go, oh, there's a car parked there. You know what? I, I think I better stop there. So I stopped there and there's like some lady... I don't know what she was doing, cleaning the place or something. And she said, well, you know, the pastor will be here. Actually, she called him on the phone for me, and, and he said, I'll be here at 1230, which was like an hour later. And I think I'm not going to sit in this little town at this stoplight for an hour. You know, I, I'll go ahead and I'll go to that bigger town where those, because there's only another maybe 20 minutes away. I'm going to go to that bigger town and meet with those pastors, and then I'll come back and catch this guy. And I take, start taking off driving, and I see another little little church and I see some cars there so I stop there and I talk to them and then I, I, I leave that place and I stop at another place and there's a pastor there and I talk to them and by that time I'm like man I only got like five minutes I might as well just go back to this little little town little church here so I turn around and go back to this little church and my meeting with that pastor was the highlight of my day 
This guy was on fire for the Lord. He was so excited about Billy Graham Evangelistic Association coming to his region. He's all about evangelism. And uh, he's like, man, you are an answer to prayer. You know, he just wanted to, just, he wants to minister. And he's like, what can I do for you? You know, and stuff. And I'm like, man, this, guy, this is awesome. And so I'm like, what a blessing. Lord, you, you, you rewrote it. I'm, my plan was to go there, but Lord, you told me to go here. Or you didn't tell me, I just ended up going here. And uh, what if I had just said, you know what, that's a little church. I want to focus on the big fish. I would have missed that opportunity. And it would, have, it would have been a bummer. I would have missed that opportunity. The key is flexibility. You know, it's interesting in Exodus chapter 31, as I'm working through the book of Exodus right now, this is the, the artisans. Remember, God told Moses to build the tabernacle. He gave him all the instructions. This is what it's going to be like. The pattern is on the mountain. I'll show you the stuff. But he says, I've called certain individuals who are going to actually do the building. And so the holy incense, the anointing oil, the, the priest's clothing, the building of the tabernacle, he says this, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted that they may make all that I have commanded you. In other words, Moses had the overall, this is what the tabernacle is going to look like. But here, go find this guy named Bezalel is one of them. And I've put my spirit in him. I've, he'll build it for you. James says this in James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And I can just imagine Paul and Barnabas, Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, give us the wisdom. Lord, lead us. And, and then, okay, I think we're going to go here. Let's, let's go to this place. And that's what they did. The next verse of James 1, verse 5 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, a rolling wheel is easier to turn than one standing still. Verse 5. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Salamis was a seaport on the eastern coast of Cyprus. And I did a little research on Cyprus. I didn't know this much about it, but evidently during the Maccabean period, it had become a refuge for Jews prior to Christ in the Maccabean period. And so there were lots of synagogues on Cyprus. And uh, during the persecution of Christians, when Stephen was martyred, some of those believers actually went to, went to Cyprus. And uh, there were two major cities on Cyprus, Salamis, was a seaport, and Paphos, which was also a seaport, but the Romans had turned that into the capital of the island, basically. And Paphos has a little bit of history. It first became famous when mythology set the city as the first home of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, after she was born from sea foam. Kind of interesting. But the worship of Aphrodite involved prostitution. It was sexual immorality was how they worshipped Aphrodite. You think about that. This is, this is the culture that Paul and Barnabas are going to minister to, uh, where there's all kinds of sexual immorality. You know, the culture that Paul ministered to and, and reached people with the gospel, because a lot of people got saved. It's not much different than the culture we're in today. Man, I look at how, how you know, there's so much confusion 
people don't know what they are anymore. Or, you know, there's there's just so much. Uh, it, it, I just don't know what else to call it, but confusion. You know what? And sometimes you look at that and go, "Man, I, I can't believe things are doing. People are doing this. I can't believe that and stuff." And I have a hard time with it. But you know what? They still have spiritual needs. The the needs of people hasn't changed. They still need the gospel of Christ, just like the people in Paul's day. The opportunities are the same. And so it's interesting. Paul, as we know, is the minister to the Gentiles. But the first thing he did was go to a synagogue of the Jews. Well, the synagogues had kind of a custom in those days. It was kind of a, uh, they kind of referred to as an open synagogue. So you could attend a synagogue, like, like for example, if we were a synagogue, you'd come in here and, and, and meet with us. And, and uh, I would just say, hey, does anybody here have a word from the Lord or something you want to share? And some guy would stand up and say, they would start teaching. Remember, Jesus did that in Capernaum, synagogue in Capernaum. Well, in those open synagogues, there would be not only Jewish people, you know, that, that had just lived in the year, but there would also be Gentiles who were wanting to become Jews, the proselytes. So maybe they were exploring Judaism, and they're coming, and they're, they're wanting to, to hear, and so they're attending these synagogues. Now, you would think that the Jews would be excited to hear about a, a, the Messiah, the promised Messiah. And so that would be one reason why Paul would teach there. The other reason, I think, was because of the Gentiles that were exploring Judaism. You know, they would be open, and you read about it in the book of Acts, they're open to hearing about salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, rather than, hey, you need to be circumcised, you've got to do this and that, you know, you got to observe this festival and this stuff. No, just put your trust in Christ for salvation. And so the, the opportunities are there. So it made sense, again, for Paul to do that. In fact, that would become Paul's pattern of ministry, he would say this in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So everywhere he would go, he would first go to a synagogue. If there wasn't a synagogue, like I think in Philippi, right, he would he'd go to a place where if they didn't have enough men for a synagogue, you had, I think you had to have 10 men to have a synagogue, he would go to where, wherever the Jewish people would meet to pray. And in that case, he went to the river where, uh, where there were some Jews gathered that were praying. They didn't have a synagogue. And the rest is history with the Philippian jailer and all that, right? Gospel at Lydia, the solar of purple and stuff. So that would be the pattern that, that Paul would do. And I think that's just based on this is what the Lord's laid on my heart. It's not like God said, okay, I want you to go to Solomon's and I want you to go to synagogue first. After you go there, I want you to no. He gave them wisdom. He gave them wisdom. He gave them a mind to think what does the Lord wanted. And it says that John Mark was their assistant. Now, this is a nephew of Barnabas. He also, by the way, was an eyewitness of Christ's life. Um, he was a little young man. He's the writer of the Gospel of Mark. He was a young man at the time when Christ was crucified. And so he's coming along to assist uh, Paul and Barnabas, probably the way the deacons in chapter 6 assisted the, the apostles so that they could focus on the word of God in prayer and then they would come along and just minister alongside and help out any way they can. And so we see that with John. We'll see a little bit more about him as we go into uh, the next chapter. But Verse 6, Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, 
Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So we were introduced to this, this person, Bar-Jesus. He's a Jew, but he's also a sorcerer. In other words, he was involved in the occult. Very, very interesting. Because the Bible is very explicit about witchcraft and the occult. Very explicit. Deuteronomy 18, verse 10. Therefore, excuse me, there shall be not found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter, his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. Pretty explicit. In fact, in Exodus chapter 22, verse 18, it says, You shall not permit a sorceress to live. So it's very interesting that here you have this Jewish person that knows the scriptures, think anyways, and yet they're involved with the occult. The fact that, that those two are together in that one person shows how muddled the culture was in Paul's day. Does that sound similar to the culture that you and I are involved with? Absolutely. And yet you look at how Paul was able to minister to all these people, all these people come to faith in the Lord. Sometimes we look at these things and think that, that well, we, it's hard for us here. It's not like it was before. Man, it, Paul didn't have it any different than what we have it in our day and age. So this proconsul, Sergius Paulus, he was a high-ranking Roman official. In fact, he was responsible for the entire island of Cyprus. And he wanted to hear what Saul and Barnabas was teaching. This is my fifth point. Listen, if the Holy Spirit has called you and you walk in obedience to his calling, expect spiritual opposition. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Verse 8. But Elymas, Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Wouldn't you like to say that to somebody? <laughs> <laughs> and now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. If you're following the Lord, he's calling you into ministry, um, expect spiritual opposition. But when we're called by the Holy Spirit and the opposition comes, those oppositions, the Lord turns them into opportunities. He does that. It's interesting. Satan always tries to counterfeit the work of the Spirit. Have you noticed that? He always tries to counterfeit it. It's very interesting because Bar-Jesus, Jesus anyways, is a common name in that day. There were a lot of young boys named Joshua, Yeshua. You know, a lot of, a lot of young boys named Jesus. But it's interesting to me. Here Paul and Barnabas are preaching the Lord Jesus Christ to this Roman official and here's a guy named Son of Jesus who's trying to 
pervert the gospel, trying to seeking to keep him from coming to faith in the Lord. But the Spirit filled Paul. I love that. Filled him with wisdom and discernment about Elimas. Filled him with boldness and fought the battle for Paul by striking that, that guy with temporary blindness. And so here's this opposition. But the Lord turned the tables on the devil and used that opposition to lead this Sergius Paulus to faith in Christ Jesus. The attacks are going to come. But if we're walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit's call, not only does the battle belong to the Lord, but the victory does too. And you know, when, when the victory happens, we don't take claim for it. We don't take any credit for it. It's the Lord. It's just, it's, praise God. He did the fighting. The victory is his. You know, I, I wonder because Paul writes a lot of interesting things later on in his letters to different people. And I wonder if this one incident here, because this is one of the first ones of opposition that Paul experiences. I wonder if this experience and others, here's this great opposition. Some guy's trying to, you know, trying to mess with you as you're trying to share the gospel. If this is why he would write this later on, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. He says, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You know, I would go, hey, you know, this door is open, man. There's no opposition, man. This is, place is ripe for the gospel. Paul doesn't say that. He goes, man, this place is ripe for the gospel, and there's a lot of opposition. Why? Because he knew what the Lord would do. The oppositions turned into opportunities. So we're going to stop there at verse 12 right now. But I want to just reflect for each of us. Again, you know, sometimes you think, you know, I'm just this nobody. Um, I don't have nothing really to offer. I don't know, you know, why would the Lord even want to use me? I don't have any education, you know. Maybe I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. Listen, the Lord has used all that in your life and in my life for a purpose. He wants to take what, because you have experiences, you have, a, you have a cultural upbringing, you can relate to people that others can't relate to. And, and it's beautiful. So don't let that discount you. Don't let that, don't let that hold you back. The Lord has a purpose for each one of us. He's got a plan and a purpose for our lives. For those of you that maybe are like, you know, I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me what my gifting is and to tell me, you know, call me to this or that. Man, are you serving right now where you're at? Because if you are, man, that's, the, the Lord's going to take that and he'll, he'll direct you. He, he'll do that. But if you're just sitting there waiting, yeah, he might, he might just call you. He might hear a voice, you know, a British voice saying, goest thou to, you know, but generally speaking, probably not. Serve where you're planted and then allow the Lord to move you around. Let, allow the Lord to, to direct your path because he'll do that. Has the Lord called you to be separated to him and separated from something? Maybe there's something the Lord says, I want you to take that out of your life and I want you to focus on this. Man, let him do that. The Lord has given each of us his word, the Bible, right? You know, reading the Bible, it's, it's great for, you know, learning about the life of different people and what to do and what not to do. But you know what also I, I love about reading the word is it reveals to me the heart of God. Because I, 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 I know that this is the way the Lord looks at things because I know his heart. And so I just encourage you, man, as you're reading the word, learn the heart of God. The Lord's giving you his word. What a treasure we have.
The Lord's given you. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. You don't have to wait for that. You have the Spirit dwelling inside you. His Spirit is there to fill you and to give you wisdom. So just start walking by faith. Just start trusting the Lord. And Okay, yeah, maybe you mess up and you went some direction. And, oh, I guess that wasn't the Lord. Okay, that's fine. At least you're moving. At least you're going somewhere. And then just allow the Lord to move you. Remember, opposition is going to come. It's going to happen. But trust the Lord to turn that opposition into opportunities because he'll do that. Why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Now the worship team, come on up.